how many of you guys in here, your family was very competitive at either like board games or cards? Anybody? Some of you? And those of you, there's many of you who don't know what I'm talking about. Like my, my family and my wife's family were very different. My family is a very competitive um, at all kinds of board games. My dad would talk trash while beating five-year-olds at Monopoly. Like, it was, it was serious. My wife's family, like, we went over, like, we're gonna play a game. They're like, what are we gonna play? Phase 10. Phase 10's an awful game. Because everyone gets to win. If you've never played Phase 10 before, it's literally made so everyone can kind of win and be happy and all that. And I'm sitting here going, I wanna win. And so we grew up, we grew up playing uh, board games, we ended up playing cards, and very serious card players, like spades, hearts, euchre, all that kind of stuff. Like my family's from up north, and it's very into the rules of those card games. My great-grandma was actually the one that like was the stickler. She, uh, she kept the Hoyle um, book of rules in her back pocket at all times. If you guys don't know what Hoyle, that's the card keepers. And here's what she would do. She would literally, I don't know why, but she always had a fork at the table. And if you did something wrong, like if you threw in a card and went to take it back, or you did something wrong, she would literally stab you with a fork. <laughs> like, here's what's crazy. Like, I remember my great-grandma as a nice person, and I don't know why. Like, she would stab you with a fork if you tried to do something wrong, or like, if one of the kids, like, you didn't get, you got one wrong move as a kid, and then you were expected to know everything. And so, I don't know if you guys have ever been in this situation, you grow up playing a certain way, or you grow up with your set of rules. In our case, we grew up playing by these set of rules, and then you go somewhere else and the rules change. Like, you ever been in the middle of a board game or a card game and somebody changes it up? Like, you play Monopoly and you go past Go, and they're like, I get $1,000. dollars like, wait, what? Like, because my name starts with K. That's the way that it works. The way my mommy said I got, you know, whatever it may be. Well, I remember we're playing cards, and we're at this, uh, this thing called Man Event, and Girls, you guys have beautiful conference. Uh, the men, they're like, we need to make sure they understand it's for them, apparently. And so they're like, let's just call it man event. And so we're at man event, and they had a spades uh, tournament. And so me and my dad played a lot of spades. And so we go in, we're playing spades. We're beating everybody. We get to the final round, and it's us uh, against another two people. And we start to play, and they start, in my mind, making up rules. And they're, they're like literally saying these things. And some of you may think this is the way Spades is playing. And I'm going to tell you it's not. Uh, they, they started making up these things. Like if you do this and you do this, it's called like a Chicago. And this and this is called it's like a Boston. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like making up rules. And what's crazy was another pastor. I'm not going to tell you who, but it, it rhymed with Pastor Ralph. And so, um, and I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I remember we're like in the middle. We don't even know what to do because I'm afraid another city's going to come up and we're going to lose. And so we're playing. Actually, what happened at the very end, something happened. And I'm like, wait, that was a Boston thing. And they're like, yeah, you're right. So we won. But it was crazy because it, it felt awful because the rules changed in, in the middle of it. And for some of you, I think that's what the Christian life has been a little bit. It's like you start off and you hear this thing. You're like, man, Jesus died for your sins. He wants you to go to heaven. Everything's going to be great. And you're like, this is awesome. And you start falling after God. And then all of a sudden you go to church. Maybe you start going to church that it's a very conservative church. Or you're like, I'm going to start reading my Bible. And for some reason you start in Genesis. And you start from the very beginning and you get into Exodus and you see all the, the Ten Commandments. And then you get into Leviticus and Numbers and you see the 600 and 13 laws and you're like what in the world or you hear a pastor that's always talking about this is what you need to do and this is what christians do and you can't do this and you must do that and all of a sudden this idea of a relationship this idea of this free gift becomes this set of laws these set of rules and the idea of the freedom that comes in christ becomes this dead religion in your heart 
that you feel like you have to do, and if you don't, there's a guilt that's associated with it. You see, this is something that's not new. This is something that's been happening. As we've been talking about, there's a church in Galatia that Paul was writing to. Paul was writing to this church because they had started going the wrong way. Paul came through and he goes, hey guys, this is what it's all about. Jesus died for your sins. There's freedom in this. Then all of a sudden there's these other Christians who came behind that were from the Jewish faith. And they're like, yeah, it's great what Paul said, but you also need to follow all these laws. And I understand why they did it. They've been following these 613 laws their entire life. They don't want it to be for nothing. Like they don't want to go, well, now it doesn't matter. Like everybody gets the same thing as I do. They want something to last. And so they're coming behind and they're telling them, hey, guys, it's about Jesus, but it's also about the laws. And they're going from this freedom to this jail. And this week, what, what I want to talk about is the thing that's so important to all of this. It's, it's the thing that keeps us from sitting in one place. It's the thing that allows us to truly change our heart and actually be able to do the thing God has called us to do. And that's grace. It's grace. It's something that is different, and we need a reminder of what grace is and what the gospel is. And so what Paul does in chapter 3, he goes, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm just going to lay it back out. I need to remind you guys this is what it's all about. So Galatians 3, verse 1, it says this. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Now, actually, if you look at the actual translation, it's evil eye. And like for some of you, you immediately cringe because you had a parent that had the evil eye. Like some of you, like I, I really believe the reason why kids are not as good today is because parents haven't been able to master the evil eye. Like my dad had the evil eye. My dad was, a, he would, uh, he was a, one of the pastors that he was a pastor at a church and he wasn't the main pastor. So he would teach, but it would be on like on Sunday night or Wednesday night. So he would be up there teaching. I would be in the audience as like a six year old and I would start to move around or fall asleep and he would look at me once. Like he'd be in the middle of a point like God loves you. And he and like it was just that one look, and I would be like, "Oh no, I'm dead." Like I don't know if you, if you, any of you have a parent or a grandparent that had the evil eye. Like you know what I'm talking about. Like they just looked at you. You were in the store. You went, "I want," and they looked at you and, "Oh man." Like this is what they're saying. They're they're saying it's this evil eye. It's this idea that people are looking at people and they're judging them. He, he's like, who is judging them? He says, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Did you become a Christian by obeying laws? No, of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? See, some of you grew up in the church with a lot of people that had that evil eye. Like they were the first ones to point out people that didn't look the same or people that dressed a certain way, right? They, they were the ones that would, that would come up to other people and go, can you believe they're wearing this? Or can you believe they're doing that? Or can you believe this? Or the, the one that I thought was good and then I found out later on was used by old women, bless their heart. Like you think, oh, that's so nice. And then really it's just basically saying they're a horrible person. It's like, they would just go, oh, bless their heart. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. No, that's their way of saying, can you believe they walked into church? And there's people that, there's this idea of this judgment that happens. And the problem is, that's totally the opposite of the gospel. That's the opposite of what God says. Like, it's the opposite of what we want. It's this idea that you have followed after God, but there's something more that has to happen. Here's why that has and comes into play. Most of the time, the people that are, that are throwing that evil eye are the people that do a lot of good things and they want other people to do the same thing and when they don't, they look down on them. 
Like they found their own version of what they think is perfect, and when other people don't live up to it, they look down on them. That's not at all what the gospel is. See, here's what's interesting, guys. God wants to be with us. He doesn't want us to serve him. Like we weren't created to serve God. That's what the angels are for. Like the angels were created as servants of God. We were created for relationship with God. We messed that up with sin. God wants that back. And so what God did is he goes, you know what? You messed this up, but I want a relationship so bad that I'm going to make a way myself for you to come back to me. He goes, and for this to happen, I'm going to send Jesus as this perfect sacrifice. He goes, I'm going to send Jesus as this way of paying a bill. And you don't have to do anything about it. Any of you guys ever had that happen where somebody pays your bill at a restaurant? Like, it's literally one of the most amazing things. Like, I've had it happen a couple times. And the waitress will come up and they'll be like, oh, yeah, your bill's already paid for. I'm like, dang, I should have got a gift card. Like, it's, it's like, like, you do. You hear somebody, and I'm like, that's awesome. And like, like, I look around, and most of the time they don't tell me who it is. And I'm like, wow, I don't know who that is. I love that I don't know who it is because then I don't feel like I owe them. But it's this idea. It's just paid for. It's the same idea with, with God. See, we've sinned. We've messed up. God didn't say, okay, you need to do these things, and then I'll pay for it. He goes, I'm paying for it. You just need to accept it. See, Jesus chose to pay the cost for our sin. There's a different way of looking at hell when we understand this. See, hell is not a place that God sends people that he wants to punish. Hell is a place where people choose to go when they want to pay for their own sins. It's a different idea. God wants to save everyone. But there's a payment for our sins that has to happen. And God goes, I made the way. I gave you Jesus. But if you want to pay for them on your own, I will let you do that. I will let you do that. And that's a hard thing to get, but it's true in what God gives us. James 2.10 says this way. It says, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. See, when we look at all these laws, and if you've ever read through Leviticus and Numbers, you've read all of these things, you're like, why is all this here? The reason the law is there is, one, it was to protect the Israelites in that time, but two, it's to show us that we don't have the ability to be perfect. Like, it's not possible. We can't obey all those things. And if we've only sinned once, if we sin a thousand times, in the eyes of God, it's the same thing. It keeps us from heaven, but God's grace allows us to go the right way. See, I believe this. I believe some of you in here right now, you've grown up in church. And there's a part of you that has prayed and served and given and done all of these things. You're like, man, I want to get into heaven. It's like you're, you're sitting there going, I haven't felt anything yet, but I'm doing all the things I feel I'm supposed to do. Maybe at some point when I pray, I'll actually feel something. See, what happens so easily in the Christian world is we look at all the things that we see a part of Christianity and we we use it as a checklist to get closer to God. God's like, no, 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 it's a gift. What you have to do is you have to trust me in that. Galatians 3, 24, 25 says this. It says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we were made be made right with God through faith. And now the way faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. We no longer need those things. We no longer, it's not about how many times I read the Bible. It's not about I've been baptized like 15 times and it still doesn't feel like it's taken. It's not about do I lift my hands during worship. I'm glad it's not that because I have a hard time doing that still. I grew up in a conservative church and I remember the first time a worship leader said, lift your hands. I'm like, no. (laughs) 
And like for the longest time, like I grew up like conservative, and so like after a while, I started like this. I'm like, yeah, okay. And then I get here. I still don't like it when a worship leader tells me to raise my hands. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna worship the way I want. Shut up. Like, you can't tell me like this is wrong. I'm just telling you me. So if any of you feel that way, sometimes it's not right, but that's the way I feel. Sometimes I'm like, who are you? You come up here and teach the way I know. Never mind. Anyway. But we do. We do. We go. Oh, I'm doing this. I remember I was youth leader for all the time. I, I had people that got baptized seven years in a row at youth camp. And the reason why, they're like, I didn't feel it. But it was because baptism and prayer and reading the Bible were about things that aren't due to earn the favor of God. And there was never a point where they trusted God with their life. There's never a point where they actually trusted him there. See, the difference between what people think Christianity is and what Christianity actually is, is God's not asking you to do what's right, God wants to make you right. God's not asking you to do everything right. God wants you to join a relationship with him. He wants to transform your heart so that you want to do what's right. And the way he does that is through grace. No matter what you do, no matter how you do it, no matter how far you've gone, he will continue to forgive you and give you more chances to the point where you realize, I want to follow after someone who gives this kind of grace. Let me say this. Grace is not something you can just know. It's something that has to be experienced. This isn't something you can just go, okay, I want to feel grace. Like, it's not something to where in Christianity you can go, well, I want to test the tires of what this grace feels like. God, let me feel grace, then I'll decide if I want to follow him. Like, really, grace is something that you have to take a step. You have to take a step of faith and of trust and leap out and do it. It's one of those things where people go, I don't know if I want to be a Christian. Well, you just have to take a step in it. It's kind of like as a kid, when you remember, you would be like, I don't want to do that, but you've never done it before. Like my son, I remember him saying, he goes, I don't want to go to a water park. I'm like, you're dumb. No, I didn't say that to him. I'm like, why? He goes, I don't want to go to a water park. I'm like, have you ever been to a water park? He goes, no. I'm like, how do you know you don't like it? You just I don't like the word water park together. He's five. So we went to the water park. He had an awesome time. I was like, see? You don't try to use logic with a five-year-old, but I try. But it's the same thing. Look, until you take a step forward, until you put that trust in God, you'll never experience that grace. You can't just sit on that, that the sideline and believe it's going to happen that way. It's something you can't know. It's something that you have to do. See, grace is something that's it's so important, but at the same time, it's free, and we've got to remember that. We can't earn it. It's the opposite of the American dream. It's the opposite of what people want to do. People want to make a name for themselves. Christianity is not that. Christianity is making a name for God because we believe in what he already did. See, we want to make it ourselves. We want it to be about ourselves. We've heard things like God helps those who help themselves. And we believe it's something about what we have to do to get to him. But it's not. It's a free gift. That's why there's people that have been in church their whole life that don't understand grace because they've yet to understand that it's something that they get for free. Now, it is free, and we talk about it all the time. And you've, if you've been in church, you've said it so many times. You've said the words, you know, Jesus died for your sins. You've memorized John 3.16, and we've said it. Well, Jesus died for it. It becomes something that we say so many times that we forget about it was. We forget about the horror of what Jesus went through and God went through while watching his son on the cross. Like, we forget about how big of a deal that was because we didn't see it. I mean, imagine it this way. Tomorrow, if you're standing on a curb, a car is about to plow into you, and a push in, person pushes you out of the way and gets hit by the car themselves, there would not be a day that you wouldn't think about that person. There would not be a day where you would think, man, am I living a life worthy of what that person sacrificed? Like, it would be in your head all the time. 
But I think because we become so saturated with what Jesus has done, because it's something that we didn't get to see for ourselves, we don't realize what he did and how he took our place in that. There's a story I heard from a pastor at a conference, and it's, it's a story that he told about his son, and it just it fits perfectly into what we're talking about. And he, he tells the story, he goes, you know, I had a, a little toddler, he had a little kid, like three years old. And they were at church, and he's just playing on these chairs, and he pulls back the metal chair on them. And when he pulls back the metal chair on them, it just nails him right in the nose and splits his nose. And so blood everywhere. If you've ever done anything right there, blood's everywhere. And so his wife grabs him, calls him up. He goes, we're going to the hospital. So they go to the hospital. He goes, we had to wait six hours because there's all these other people that had much bigger things that need to be done. He goes, it's tough when your son's sitting there bleeding, but you're like, yeah, they probably should deal with a heart attack. Um, but he's like, okay, we, we've got him in there. Wait six hours. They go to take him back. And the doctor says, hey, you're not coming back. He goes, no, I'm coming back. He goes, you can't handle it. He goes, oh, yeah, I can. He was actually, he was like, I'm, I'm offended. I'm a pastor. I can do this. I do this all the time. He's like, he's like I'm going to go back. So he goes back and he realizes kind of quickly why he told him not to go back. Because he sees his little three-year-old there in one of those papooses they put him in to restrain them. And he sees, it, he sees his son there and the nurses are holding his head. And his son, though, is in good spirits. He says he's actually laughing. He's looking at the nurses. It's fine. They're holding his head. It's fine. They wrap him up. It's fine. Then all of a sudden, the big needle comes out, and it became not fine. And in that moment, he said the needle started going towards him. The little kid ripped his head away from the nurses and just looked at his dad, like in that look. Like, are you going to do something? So they, they, he put the needle in. He starts screaming. He said for the next 20 minutes, he yelled, Daddy. Daddy, help me. Daddy, stop them. Daddy, help me. I can't. I, this hurts. He said, you know, this, the nose was numbed after 20 seconds, but it was the fear. He said it wrecked him. His son calling out to him, and he could do nothing about it. He goes, I, I'm driving home. It's a 20-minute drive. And on the way home, the kid's asleep in the back, and he's just bawling. And he goes, and that was the point that God spoke to me. He said, that was what I went through when I saw my son on that cross, when Jesus was yelling, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's like, that's the way that I felt. He goes, I wanted to come down from heaven and save him, but then I saw your face. I saw others' faces, and I realized the sacrifice my son had to make was worth for the rest of you to have the life that I wanted. See, if we ever wonder what happened, God sacrificed, Jesus sacrificed, not because it was easy, but because they saw a love and a care for us that we don't even understand. See, God saw that there. God's like, I want to give you this free gift that was not at all free to me. But like I said, the grace is free, but it's only received by faith. And let me help you guys understand faith. Faith is not believed in it's not something that you believe in. Faith is trust in. It's, it's trust in a person. It's kind of the idea that, that when you're looking at someone, and you, let's say you have to have them, they, they have to use your car, and you're like, I believe my car will be okay. What you're saying is I trust you as a person and what I know of you that my car will be okay. It's not, you're not saying that I believe you exist. Because here's the deal. The devil believes Jesus exists. The devil knows God exists. The demons know God exists, but just because they know God exists doesn't mean that they are Christians. See, Christianity is not something that you believe in. It's something you trust in. 
You're, you're telling God, I trust you to take care of my future. I trust you to take care of what's happening right now. See, Romans 4.16 says it this way. It says, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we are living according to the law of Moses. This is Paul talking here to the church, it, the Romans, and he's saying, hey, it's a promise. We get it as a free gift, but as long as we receive it through faith, as long as we receive it through faith. See, grace is something that we can receive, and it's something that's available to everyone. Let me just say this. We should never be the church. We should never be the church that looks at people with the evil eye. And the reason I say that is we forget that so quickly. It's so easy for the church to become something where we look around and we're happy about who we see. And anybody coming in, we're like, oh, that's somebody else. And I've had this happen so many times, especially in youth ministry. I would have parents especially come up to me and be like, did you see that kid? It's always homeschool parents. Like, if you're homeschooled, I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of your parents, so it's okay. Um, it was always homeschool moms. They would come. I remember one lady came and she goes, oh my gosh, did you see that? That kid has tattoos. And he smells like smoke. I was like, sweet. She's like, what? I'm like, it'd be awful. We were like this just homogenous group of people. She's like, why would that be awful? I'm like, because that's not what heaven looks like. That's not what God wants. God never expected all of us to look the same and act the same. And the idea that we're supposed to be that way is absolutely wrong because everyone in here has a person and a people they could reach because of who you are. And if all of a sudden you become like everybody else, you lose that ability. And that's what the church has been many times. It's a place where we tell you, this is how you act. This is what you do. Here's your new friends. Don't have any friends outside of this. And that's not at all what God calls us to do. God wants us to reach out, and it's for everyone. It's for everyone, no matter where they come from or what they've done. Church is not a place just for Christians. See, here's what the gospel really entails. It's invite people and let Jesus change their heart. See, that's what's so great about it, because people get, people get very fearful. They're like, I can't tell people about my faith. I can't invite people to church. I don't know all the answers. That's not your job. It's not. Your job is to invite people. Let Jesus show them the grace. Let Jesus change their heart. It's not up to me. I've never saved anyone. I've told people about Jesus, and, they, and Jesus has changed their heart, and they've changed their heart, and God's used me in that. But that's what God does. God uses us as we have the ability to help and be a part of what God is doing. And here it happens through grace because grace is something that, that only happens through Jesus. It, it bothers people many times when I tell people that, that all religions don't lead to the same God. I, I, I did a bunch of classes in just world religion. My wife actually has a degree in that. And if you study religions at all, it, it bothers me when people say, oh, all religions lead to the same God. If you study religions at all, you would not get that. In fact, it's very, very different. I actually respect somebody that says there is no God and all religions lead to the same God because there, there's no way it's there. The only, Christianity is the only one where God, the God of that religion decided to go, there's a problem and I'm going to solve it. Every other religion says there's a problem, you're going to solve it. Every other religion says there's a problem and you need to do these things to make up for it. God said there's a problem, I'm going to solve it ahead of time. I love you enough, and I'm going to give you that in grace. Acts 4.12 says it this way. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by, by which we must be saved. And let me just say this in this. Why would Jesus die if there's another way to Christ, if there's another way to heaven? That'd be, that's a sadistic God. 
Like, why would he have Jesus die if there was another way? That'd be awful. God's like, you know, I sent Jesus on a purpose. I don't want his sacrifice to go null and void in our lives. It's something that is special. And here's the greatest thing about grace, guys, is that it's eternal. Jesus took care of your past. He's taken care of your present and all of your future sins. See, his sacrifice on the cross already took care of all of those things. Does that mean you can live however you want and go, well, grace is sufficient. It's going to be fine. No, that's not at all what happens. You, there's still consequences. There's still consequences for living the way that we want. This that just happened in this world. But God's like, every time you mess up, here's what God doesn't do. God doesn't do it. Now sit there, feel bad about yourself and do these things. God says, you want forgiveness? Awesome. Get up. Let's go. Let's try again. Do I need to sit here and guilt? No, I don't want you to feel guilt at all. In fact, when you look in the Bible, guilt is something that Satan does. So if you're sitting there in pain and guilt and feeling like you're not good enough, that's not God. That's not grace. That's Satan. See, what God does is he continues to give us grace so much that it changes the way we feel, it changes the way we think, so that we actually want to do what he calls us to do. God's never called us to change ourselves through our own efforts. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says it this way. I love this verse. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches us. Grace teaches us. Why? Have you ever been around someone that just is forgiving? How does that change the way you want to treat them? How does it change the way you want to be around them, how you act? When God continues to forgive us over and over and over again, we start to go, you know what? Maybe he's got this figured out. Maybe the things that he wants me to do are the things that I ought to do. See, what grace does in this is, this is the final point there. It says grace changes our motivation. Here's what grace does. What we should do becomes what we want to do. Guys, please get this. And this is something I go back to all the time. It's what we've been talking about. There are going to be moments in your life when you're being a Christian, all of a sudden you're going to go back to about, it's about laws, it's about rules. You're going to feel down, you're going to feel guilty, you're going to feel like you need to do more right things. If I do this thing and this thing and this thing, then God will accept me. That's not true at all. In fact, the way God says is, don't do all those things, come to me. Don't do all those things, talk to me. Because what I will do is I will change your motivation to something that you feel like you have to do to something that you want to to do. God doesn't say change everything, do these list of rules, and then come to me. He goes, come to me, and I will help you live the life you've always wanted to live. Because I know so many of us in here are dealing with that right now. We're thinking about that. Some of you have walked in here today, and you're going, I know I'm going to hear a message that makes me feel bad. If you feel guilt and shame, that is not God. And right now, God wants to take that away. God wants you to realize that he loves you, he cares for you, he sent his son for you, and there's no stipulations in that outside of the side that you just need to trust him in. So right now what I want to do is I just want to pray for us. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for all you've done for us. God, I thank you that you've given us this grace. God, God I know there's people in here right now that uh, have been around church their entire life but still haven't understood what grace is and what it feels like. God, I pray that you help them take that next step. God, I pray right now that they trust you with their lives. God, we thank you that you've already forgiven what we're going to do. God, I pray right now that those of us that are sitting in this place of, I've really messed up. God, there's this shame there. I need to do all these things to make it up with God. God, I pray that we would get rid of that guilt, get rid of that shame. I pray that they ask for forgiveness and move forward with you. God, we thank you that you are God that shows us that ultimate grace.
God, I thank you for this room of young adults that just so much freedom can come to each of them if they decide every single day to live by this freedom, by this grace, instead of by the rules that they thought they were supposed to. God, I pray every morning we start that way. God, I pray that we ask you for that grace. And in Jesus' name I pray.